last week I started a brand new series through the book of Jonah. We started looking at the book of Jonah. I called this series The Deadliest Catch. And so last week we looked at chapter 1. This week we're going to go all the way through chapter 2, a prayer that, that Jonah had prayed. For those of you that weren't with us, uh, most people think that Jonah is the guy, or the moral of the story is, is, is the guy that got swallowed by the well, and that's true. But there's so much more to the story than that. This is really a story of a man, a minor prophet, if you will, but a man that struggled with God. See, so many of the, the stories written of the minor prophets and of Scripture in the Old Testament, they're, they're, they're making prophecy, but not Jonah. Jonah had, was so transparent. It's his writings about how he struggled with a holy and a righteous and a perfect God, where he struggled with some of the things that God had asked him to do in his life and some of the things that God was challenging him to do. Now, Jonah, in chapter 1, uh, God came to him and told him to go to the city of Nineveh and preach there, minister, but Jonah hated Nineveh. I mean, he, he, it represented everything that he hated, and he didn't want to go there, so Jonah was disobedient. He went in the opposite direction of the way that God had called him to go. Uh, and he went to Tarshish, which is in the opposite direction. He got on a ship there in Joppa. Joppa is where all the ships left in and out of. It was a major port city. He went there. He boarded a ship. He got on the ship. He started set sail. And then God brought a big storm together, and, and uh, the sailors were crying out to their God. Jonah, Jonah was praying, and God revealed to Jonah that Jonah was the reason that they were going through the storm. They were going through the circumstances. And so the sailors asked, what, was, what must we do? And Jonah says, pitch me overboard. Just hurl me overboard. And and boy, they didn't want to do that because they're sailors and not pirates, and it just went every, against everything that they were ever trained to do. Well, they pitched him overboard, and where we left off last week is Jonah was floating in the middle of the Mediterranean Sea. I mean, can you imagine? Can you imagine what he was thinking? Let me ask you, have you ever been in too deep? Have you ever been in too deep and had that sense of, panic had that sense of fear i mean i can't imagine i cannot imagine what it'd be like to drown i mean just the fear and the panic the closest i ever came to it was in 1995 i had just moved here took up fly fishing i love fly fishing and i was up on the arkansas it was in december and i was wading down the arkansas river and and you know at that point i was I was still new to Colorado from Texas, and so Texans, you know, and hypothermia and cold weather, and, you know, we just don't understand that kind of stuff like you guys do. And so, so it was December. It was so cold. It was so cold to where I was literally chipping ice out of my eyelids just so the line would keep feeding every once in a while. But I was catching fish, so who cares how cold it is, right? And so, uh, so I'm fishing, catching fish, and I was wading down the Arkansas, and I came to a deep part of the river to where the water came up pretty deep mid-chest on me, and then I bumped up against a huge rock that was just submerged in the river. And so about that time, I caught a fish. The fish was so big and strong that it pulled me over the rock. And No, that's a fish story. I had you for a second. <laughs> And so I caught a fish, and I forgot about that rock, and I went to take another step to try to feed out more line. And when I did, there was no more step to be taken. And the, the current pushed me over the rock. And I still remember going under and the cold water coming over my head, and it was just, it just took your breath away. And then my waders began to fill up with water because I was a Texan, and I had no clue what that belt meant. 
I didn't even wear it. And I now know it keeps water from going in the waders. And so, so my waders filled up with water. And, and so I'm tumbling down the river. And I'm thinking, I'm going to die. I mean, panic set in. And then all of a sudden, I came to a shallow part of the river. And I was able to stand up. And the cool thing is, I still had the fish. I still had the fish owned, and if you're a fisherman, you understand that. I mean, that's like critical, keeping the line taut and everything. And so, so I, I stood up, and, but have you ever had that desperate feeling? Have you ever had that desperate feeling in a circumstance to where you had that sense of panic? Can you imagine what was going through Jonah's mind? You see, their time wasn't like our time. There was no Coast Guard. There was no FEMA. There was no government. There was no one that was going to come and rescue him. The sailors weren't going to some mic or some, some satellite phone given the coordinates where they pitched Jonah overboard. It just him and God. Jonah had to think, I'm going to drown. What a way to go. Now, he was a prophet. He was a man of God. He was a preacher. He knew what God, he knew the word. He knew what God told him to do. He knew what God asked him to do. He knew that he was called to preach. He knew that he was called to go to Nineveh. But for whatever reason, whatever excuses that he came up with, he wasn't going to do it. Can you imagine what a failure he felt like? I'm a Christian. I'm a God follower. I can hear from God. God can hear from me. And I'm disobedient. And because of my disobedience to what he has asked me to do, there's this storm, and here I am floating in the middle of the Mediterranean Sea. I may drown. What a way to go. It just shouldn't end like that. But have you ever had a moment in your life, that sense of panic, dark, fear? Jonah chapter 1, verse 17 is where we left off. Here's where we pick up this morning. But the Lord provided, watch this, a great fish to swallow Jonah. Now listen, just a thought. The belly of a fish is not a great place to be. It's not a good place to be. But watch this. It's a great place to learn about a holy and a righteous God who pursues you even in the midst of your disobedience. The belly of the fish, your crisis in your life, my crisis in my life, when it's dark and when it's desperate and when it's hurtful and when it's painful, is not a great place to be. We'll all admit that, right? It's not even a good place to be. But it is a great place to learn about God. It's a great place to understand who God is and that God loves you and cares for you. So a great fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was inside the fish three days and three nights. Now, this fish may not have been a whale. It just may not have been a well. It's not the same Hebrew word that is used in, in Job for the Leviathan or for the sea monster. So we know it was a large fish, but it may not have been, it may not have been a well. Fact is, Jonah may not have even been in the belly of the fish because the Hebrew word means oral cavity. It means being totally engulfed or covered up by something. Now, most people believe it's a well because a well is a mammal, air breathing could have been in the oral cavity and the well would surface from time to time because it needed air to live air to breathe and so did Jonah also a well being a warm-blooded animal gave Jonah the warmth that he needed so hypothermia wouldn't set in it makes sense I mean it makes sense but here's the deal we don't know how it works see there's something in Christianity that we would call supernatural miracles that can't be proved or disproven. There's supernatural uh, 
uh, miracles. I mean, these are things that you'll never see on Mythbusters. I mean, you'll never see on Mythbusters the Red Sea splitting. Did it happen? Did it not? Can you prove it? Can you disprove it? How about the manna from heaven? How about Jericho, the walls falling down? How about the sun standing still that Scripture talks about? How about Jesus walking on water, the feeding of 5,000 with a handful of fish and some bread? How about raising Lazarus from the dead? None of that stuff you'll be able to see on Mythbusters, but here's what I will tell you. There were eyewitness accounts of all of those events. Scripture is clear. Though we may not understand them, we would call them supernatural miracles, but this isn't some fables. This isn't some stories. This is not some legend. All of those accounts that I just mentioned were witnessed by eyewitnesses. Watch this. 2 Peter 1.16, uh, Simon Peter said this. We do not follow cleverly invented stories. See, there's some that will attack Christianity and say, you're just, you're just following inv invented stories. Simon Peter said, oh, no. We were told, we, when we told you about the power of the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. We, we, this wasn't something we were just told about. 1 John 1.1, 1, 1, that which was from the beginning, which, have, uh, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at, and our hands have touched, this we proclaim concerning the word of life, Jesus Christ. As far as the story of Jonah, wherever you are with that story, I just need to tell you this morning, Jesus believed it really happened. Jesus gave great validity. The fact is, there's great prophecy in it that we don't even have time to look at this morning. Two times Jesus spoke of it, Matthew chapter 12, and then again in Luke, Matthew chapter 12, verse 40, Jesus said this, For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of a huge fish, so the Son of Man will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. We're talking about his death that is so crucial to the Christianity. Luke 29 and 30, chapter 11. As the crowds increased, Jesus said, this is a wicked generation. It asks for a miraculous sign, but none will be given except for the sign of Jonah. For as Jonah was assigned to the Ninevites, so also will be the Son of Man to this generation. In other words, Jesus refers to Jonah in the well, in the fish for three days, as a foreshadowing of what was to come. As a foreshadowing that one day Jesus Christ would be crucified on a cross and he'd be three days in the grave. Listen, when Jesus was speaking to that crowd, they knew. They knew the story of Jonah. They also one day would experience the miraculous event of Jesus Christ's death, burial, and resurrection. Don't believe in miracles? Just look at the human body and how it was fitted together. Man, this last week, I, my wife is in nursing school, and I got her to give me some stuff about how the body was put together. And just the exactness of it, and just the precision of it. I read story after story after story. And you know what? Some people say it just happened. That'd be like a tornado blowing through a junkyard and coming out on the other side is a brand new car that everything works and everything's fine. Somehow the parts all got put together and you got a brand new car. And some will tell you that it just, just kind of happened. It was just an accident. But he's the one. 
that spoke the world into existence. He's the one that made the lightning bug. He's the one that gave us DNA. He's the one that hung the stars in, in the heavens and named them. And they sing out to him. And don't you think, don't you think if he did all that, he could arrange for a fish? I mean, don't you think that if he did all that, he could arrange for a fish whom he created to change its migration patterns and go and scoop up one of his children at the precise time when Jonah would be floating there? See, some will read this story and say, you know what? Well, him being swallowed by the well, that was God judging him. That was punishment. It wasn't. When you look back on Jonah chapter 2, in which we're going to walk through, you see that Jonah wrote back and looked at that experience in his life of great gratitude to what God had. Jonah didn't see it as punishment. You've got to understand that. Jonah did not see it as punishment. He saw it as a loving and a righteous God who pursued him and who rescued him. Listen, let me tell you something. The belly of a fish is not a great place to be. It's not a good place to be. But it is a great place to learn about the love and the forgiveness of a God who pursues you in the midst of your disobedience and doesn't let you go. See, Jonah never saw this as punishment. And God loved Jonah enough in the midst of his disobedience that he, he called up like dollar rent a whale. <laughs> Said, I need a full size, not a mid size. An arranged one. Listen, Jonah deserved death. But God showed mercy. Talking about a God who pursues. You realize God will pursue you and your disobedience and not to turn his back on you. God had every right. Jonah couldn't say, I didn't understand, didn't hear, I didn't know what you were telling me, asking me to do. He knew. And he's in the fish for three days, and while he was there, he had some time to think and pray. Now, the prayer of gratitude in Jonah chapter 2 may not have been the actual prayer that Jonah prayed while he was in the well. I mean, you ever been in the darkest times of your life, the crisis of your life, and all you can get out is help? All you can get out of God, I don't even know what to pray. I don't even know how to pray. I just know it's painful. I just know it's dark. I just know I have panic. I don't know how this whole thing's going to end up. And you can't get the words out. You, scripture says for us, when we meet those times, when we can only get out the groans, the Holy Spirit intercedes and prays for us. And so Jonah must have, after this experience, looked back on his time in the well when he thought and he prayed, and he, he wrote a prayer of gratitude. See, Jonah never saw this as punishment. But while he was there, he had some times to think and pray. And you ever been in a dark time in your life, in a dark place, and it was painful and you didn't like it? Where you come face to face with who you really are? It's in those belly of the fish experiences in our life that it forces us to come face to face with who we are because there's some things that sometimes come out of us that we didn't even know was there. 
See, we all have expectations of God. And we live in a world to where we have this fallen sin nature to where we don't understand love. And a lot of times, you know what? A lot of times we love to get something in return. And if we don't get what we think we should get in return, then we get angry. It's in those crises of life that we're able to come face-to-face with ourselves, face-to-face with the relationships around us. Man, this was a defining moment in Jonah's life. And people that have gone through this, I am one of them. You'll look back on that Jonah experience and say, that was a defining moment. That wasn't punishment. That was a defining moment in my life. And so he crafted this prayer, which tells me this. If Jonah can pray in the belly of a fish and God will hear him, then you can pray anywhere and God will hear you. It's never too dark. It's never too hurtful. It's never too painful that you and I can pray and communicate to him wherever we are. So let's walk through this first one. Here's what he wrote. From in chapter 2, from inside the fish, Jonah prayed to the Lord his God. He said, in my distress, I called to you, Lord, and he answered me. What a beautiful promise. God, I called to you in my disobedience, and you, you answered me. I mean, you, you, you actually cared. You even answered me. Watch this. From the depths of the grave, that's just, a, that's just another way in their time of saying, I'm talking about hell. I mean, it feels like it's painful. It's horrible. For the depths of the grave, I called for help, and you listened to my cry. You not only heard the words, but you, you saw my tears. You saw my emotion. You listened to my cry, and when I couldn't get the words out, you put words to my prayer, and you rescued me. You hurled me into the deep. Jonah understood the sovereignty of God. Jonah didn't even hold the, he didn't hold the sailors responsible. Wait a minute, the sailors, Jonah chapter 1 said the sailors threw him in the sea. Jonah says, God, you're the one that hurled me into the sea. See, God understood that, or Jonah understood that God's sovereign. See, so many times when we go to dark places in our life, when we go through crisis and panic, the sailors were no longer going to enable Jonah to live a life of sin, no longer enable him to live a life of disobedience. And a lot of times when someone comes into a Jonah in your life and you speak truth into them, they'll turn on you. And all of a sudden, Jonah says, God, you orchestrated this. You're the one that hurled me. You're the one that threw me in the sea. Talking about trust. Into the very heart of the seas and the current swirled about me and all your waves. That's circled in my Bible. Jonah understood that God is sovereign. He created the heavens and the earth and the seas and the tides and the whale and everything. And all the breakers swept over me. I said I've been banished from your sight because when you're in the belly of the fish, sometimes it feels like you've been banished from God's sight. He's just being honest. God, this is painful, this is hurtful, this is dark. Yet, I will look again towards your holy temple. God dwelt in the holy temple. This is the way that the Jewish people would refer to, God, I look to you. The engulfing waters threatened me. The deep surrounded me, and seaweed was wrapped around my head. To the roots of the mountains, I sank down. The earth beneath me barred me in forever. 
God, not only is this painful, it seems like prison and there's no escape. That's what crisis will do in your life. That's what the belly of the fish experiences will do in your life. It will make you feel like it's prison. There is no escape. It is engulfing around you. It is threatening you. It is over your head. You don't know if you're going to survive. Jonah didn't know if he was going to survive. But you brought my life up from the pit. Oh, Lord, my God. First time he says that, my God. The belly of the fish is not a great or a good place to be, but the, el- the belly of the fish is a great place to learn about your deliverer, to learn about your Savior. He made God very, very personal. My Lord, my God, God became very, very personal to him. How many of us this morning could sit down and write a prayer of rescue? A prayer of gratitude for a time that we went through a belly of the fish experience. That we went through a difficult time. And we could look back on that and say, God, it wasn't punishment. I am so thankful for what you've done in my life. How many of you could agree with this statement that Jonah basically made, even though, even though we may not see him, God is at work in the midst of the darkness. Listen, something I'm learning in my Christianity is this. That when it seems like God is doing absolutely nothing in my life, that's when he's working the most. In the darkest times of my life, the most hurtful, painful times of my life, I have learned when I look back over it, just like Jonah did, I realize that's when God was pursuing me. Have you ever gone through a situation like this where you feel like it's desperate? Even when it's dark. God is at work. And he is with you. Nietzsche said this. Said that a man, so that a man can endure torture if he knows the why of his life. He basically said a man can endure anything if he knows the why of his life. Jonah would absolutely disagree with that statement. He said it's not in knowing the why, it's in knowing the who. You may never know the why. You may never know the why, the situation, the hurtful things that you're going through, the belly of the fish experiences. And listen, let me tell you something. Even if you know the why, it will not get you through it. Only in knowing the who. My Lord, my God. It's in knowing the who. So so many people waste so much emotional energy on trying to figure out the why of this experience and why is it so painful and why is why'd they do that why did i respond like that why is this going on and jonah says it's not in knowing the why you never see him ask god why jonah says it's in knowing the who you see a belly of a fish is not a good place to be But it's a great place to learn about the who. It's a great place for Jonah to know that the who could sustain him and the who will continue to sustain him. It's powerful for you and I to know that God sustained me through it. And God will continue. He'll continue to sustain me through it. Listen, if you're going, if you're in the belly of the fish right now in crisis, God has not abandoned you. God is pursuing you. 
He has not left you to drown. He is the who in whatever deep sea experience that you are having. Get away from the why and move to the who. And I urge you to honest, just be honest with God. I mean, Jonah, Jonah was so honest. This, this is painful. This is hurtful. This, this feels like prison. To where you're able to say, this is a difficult time in my life. Sometimes when you and I realize that you need help because you're going to drown on your own, that's a great place to be. Jonah realized, left to my own, I'm dead. Verse 7, when my life was ebbing away, close to death, I remembered. The word remember refers to a mental act of focusing attention on something which is the basis for action. In other words, Jonah moved his focus from the circumstance, the belly of the fish, to the who? To God. I remembered you, Lord, and my prayer rose to you, to your holy temple. Verse 8, huge. Those who cling to worthless idols forfeit the grace that could be theirs. Those who worship false idols, those that trust in man, those that trust in chariots, those that trust in the temporal, you turn your back on God. You forfeit the grace that could be yours. In other words, you trust in something that cannot help you. That's what an idol is. You trust in something. I mean, so many times in our culture we bow down to the... Well, we bow down to the idol of good looks and we bow down to the idol of materialism and we bow down to the idol of success and we bow down to the idol of recreation. We bow down to the idol of sports. We bow down to the idol of fame or power. But isn't that all paper and glass? It's temporal. And Jonah makes a huge statement in verse 8 and says, Listen, those that bow down to those idols, you forfeit the grace. An idol can't forgive you. An idol can't wipe away your deepest hurt, your deepest failure. An idol cannot wipe away your sin. An idol cannot give you eternal life. An idol cannot give you peace and cannot give and comfort. An idol cannot give you something that will last, but so often we trust in that. And Jonah's just saying, if you trust in all of this stuff of this life, you'll miss out on the true and a holy God who has unfailing love that pursues you even in your disobedience, who has mercy on you, who wants to walk with you every day of your life, not just when you're drowning. Not just when you're in the belly of the fish. Verse 9. But I, 
with a song of thanksgiving will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed, I have made good. So Jonah made a commitment there in the belly of the fish. Some of the deepest commitments I've made are in the crisis of my life. When I came face to face who I was and who he was. When I realized all this other stuff is just straw. Salvation comes from the Lord. Belly of a fish. It's not a good place to be. But it's a great place to learn about him. And I've asked Kelly Hall, Kelly, you come. I've asked Kelly Hall to give a brief testimony of a time in her life when she went through a Jonah experience in her life and what God did for her. So uh, I was going to call you Jonah. Kelly, you come. (laughs) 23 years ago, I married a handsome young fighter pilot named Lee Hall. Our minds were filled with vision and plans for our future together. And one plan we had that was firm and definite was that we were going to wait five years before we had any children. About five years later, we'd had four. (laughs) When our oldest daughter, Kayla, was 15 months old, my husband and I received news that changed our lives forever. She was diagnosed with profound deafness. I couldn't believe it. No one in our large extended family had ever had children born with any kinds of problems. The grief, the pain, the confusion, it was overwhelming. We had prayed for a healthy baby during the entire pregnancy. And I wondered, how could God have let this happen? I felt as if our little Kayla had died, along with all the hopes and dreams we'd had for her. But there was another little girl in her place, and I wondered, what could I hope for her? I I didn't know. But as I prayed, God reminded me of many scriptures and stories from the Bible which spoke to my heart. Two verses in particular stood out, Romans 8.28. He causes all things to work together for good for those who love him and are called according to his purpose. In Jeremiah 29, 11, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to give you a hope and a future. I had no idea what that future might look like, but God filled my heart with the promise that he would work in and through our situation and somehow bring about good. That very night, I went to grab some takeout for dinner, and as I walked through the door, I saw a woman standing with a young boy with hearing aids on. I began to speak with her. I told her we just found out that Kayla was deaf. She was very sympathetic. She gave me a phone number of the school her son attended. It turned out she was a Christian. She said, you know, we never go out on Friday nights. We usually stay in, order a pizza, watch a movie. And as I watched her four children jumping around the restaurant, I understood why. I'd stay home too. She looked me in the eye and said, you know, we've never been to this restaurant before, and I didn't know why we'd ended up here tonight, but now I know. As I walked out the door of that restaurant, God spoke to my heart, and he said, see, Kelly, I will never leave you or forsake you. I'd like you to jump ahead with me a few years. Our son David was born with normal hearing. When David was two years old, our twin girls were born. They were just two weeks old when they were also diagnosed with profound deafness. 
I remember a particular day when the twins were about six months old. I was standing in the kitchen of our house in San Antonio, and I looked around at our four children, and I, I saw Kayla, and I imagined and remembered the five years of therapy and special schools, how hard I'd worked with her, and yet her speech was still unintelligible. And I looked at David, your typical two-year-old boy, rebelling against potty training and hiding behind furniture to take care of his business instead of going to the bathroom. And then I looked at my little twin girls with these huge hearing aids hanging on their tiny little bald heads. And I suddenly saw this very long road ahead of me. All the parenting that would be required to raise four little children, to teach them the word of God, and to raise them in the knowledge of the Lord. I saw all the years of speech and language therapy in special schools, I imagined all the moves we would go through because of my husband's Air Force career. The needs and the responsibilities of my little family hit me full in the face. And I panicked. Waves of fear and panic began welling up inside me so strongly I couldn't breathe. And it was like one of those moments you see on TV where the camera is panning around the person in crisis and the background is a blur and everything's spinning. I was standing in the middle of a room with four little kids, and yet all noise and motion had ceased. The only thing I saw was the battle that was raging in my own head. I thought, I can't do this. I can't. I can't. I desperately wanted to escape. I wanted so much to run away and pretend this wasn't my life. Suddenly, I became acutely aware that I had a choice to make. I saw two roads in front of me. One road was the road I would go to if I wanted to turn my back on God. I could run away physically or I could shut down emotionally, but either way I knew that road led to hopelessness and despair. And then there was this other road, and that was the road that drew me to the heart of God. I knew that was the only road that would lead me to hope and peace. So in my heart, I turned toward God, but I couldn't pray. The only words in my mind were the lingering echoes of, I can't do this. I can't. I can't. But God, in his infinite mercy, began to speak, and he said, Kelly, remember that promise I gave you on the day Kayla was diagnosed? I will never leave you or forsake you. That promise is for today, it's for you, and it's for Megan and Jenna. I will never leave you or forsake you. I will give you grace to help in times of need. I will work in and through this situation to bring about good. My plans for all of you are for a future and a hope. Truth by truth and verse by verse, God filled my heart with the assurance that he would be with me every step of the way, providing for all of our needs, whatever they might be. I didn't have to figure it all out. I just had to trust him. Sixteen years have passed since that day. I remember being overwhelmed as I looked down the long, impossible road ahead of me. But as I look back, I see the countless examples of the faithfulness of God. I remember another day when our twins were two years old. I had moved to St. Louis so all our girls could receive cochlear implants and go to a special school where they would learn to speak. My husband, Lee, hadn't been able to move with us because of his Air Force commitments. I didn't have family or friends nearby. I was lonely, 
And everyday life with these four little kids was very difficult. I remember one cold, wintry day, I had dropped all the kids off at their various schools in therapy, and I was exhausted. I had just a little bit of time before I had to turn around and start picking them up again. And I plopped down on the couch, didn't even bother taking off my coat or my gloves, and I began to just pour out my heart to God. I talked to him about everything that was going on in my life, and then I prayed scripture after scripture. All the promises that I'd memorized that I kept tucked inside my Bible. And through God's word, he filled me with a sense of his presence. And I said, God, thank you for the way you've encouraged my heart. Thank you for meeting me here. But I am still very lonely. I just want to talk to someone. I couldn't think of who I could call, who could possibly understand what I was going through, who could even handle all the emotions I was feeling. So I told God, if you want me to talk to someone, you're going to have to make them call me. A few minutes later, the phone rang. On the other end was a Christian woman I had recently met, and she said that for three days, God had been whispering my name to her and telling her to call me. But she kept putting him off. I don't know what to say, Lord. I don't know how I can help her. But that morning, as she puts it, God had begun shouting my name at her until she could no longer ignore him. So she called. God used this woman to minister to the deepest needs of my heart. She had a great deal of wisdom in the Lord, but more than that, she had four grown children, three of them deaf. They had also moved to St. Louis many years ago for the same reasons we had. I hung up the phone and I fell to my knees with tears of gratitude running down my face. I was overwhelmed that God loved me enough to arrange a phone call and that he had done it at the exact moment I needed it the most. I'd like to share with you my prayer of gratitude. And even though I've, it's written in the first person, I would like to ask you to bow your heads and make it your prayer. God, I'm incredibly grateful that you're a God who knows the future. You go before me into every situation, and you plan exactly how you're going to provide for me. That truth alone comforts my heart with your supernatural peace. I'm amazed and humbled by the way you delight in pouring out your love lavishly and in abundance. You hold nothing back, not ever. Your hope and love have pulled me out of pits of despair. You are a God who keeps your promises. You will never, never leave me or forsake me. You've held me in your arms when I needed comfort. You've prayed for me when I had no words. You've ministered to my heart when I was grieving, confused, lonely, worn out, and overwhelmed. You've made me fall more deeply in love with you as you have proven yourself to be my rock, my refuge, my strength, my joy, and my shelter in every storm. You are my hope, and most importantly, my salvation. I'm eternally grateful that I could rest in your constant, tender, loving care. I love you. Amen. I'm going to ask you a question. What is your fish story? Do you have a rescue story? How did God rescue you? May have been providing a friend for you. 
may have been providing a church for you. May have been providing for someone in a waiting room of a hospital, a doctor's office. Maybe have been in a church service where you sat in a church service and you went through worship and man, you're just thinking it's just me and God in this room. It's like nobody else in this room. How did God rescue you and what did he rescue you from? If you'd say, you know what, I don't know that I have a rescue story. The story of Jonah was a foreshadowing of the death and burial and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Maybe he's pursuing you at this moment to rescue you and to bring him to himself. And maybe you just need to ask him to come into your life and forgive you of your sins and give you the gift of eternal life and Start walking with him. But I'm going to ask you to do me a favor. We provided an email account called Jonah at fellowshiptherockies.com, org. It's on the side screen. I would love for many of you to send me. I'll be the only one that will see this email. If you don't want to uh, include your name, you don't have to. Would you write a prayer of gratitude just as Kelly has done? Of what he has done for you, what he rescued you from? And would you send it to me? I'll never use your name. But I will weave some of these in this Jonah story because it is my desire. Jonah, listen. Jonah is way more than a story about a man who got swallowed by a fish. It's a man that had struggles and issues with God came to face to face with who he was and came into a deeper relationship with him maybe you're running from him this morning maybe you know he's called you to ministry he's called you to do something and you were like me and you just wondered God how will you even provide for me how you even care for me and that keeps you from it whatever God is asking you to do would you just be obedient to him this morning